that we uh, started some time back. This is the sixth one. I don't know when this is going to end. <laughs> Amen. But we need this. We really do. We really need this. Uh, one thing that I did in my life uh, before I got married, I, I attended a lot of meetings where they talked about family life just to get, get information. I realized that I didn't know much about this. <laughs> and I needed to have some understanding. I needed to know so that I can live a life that's pleasing to God. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you. Holy Spirit, I, just, I ask for your mercy this morning and for your grace to teach and to minister to your people. Speak to our hearts today and encourage us that all is well. In Jesus' name, amen. In Proverbs 24, verse 5, it says, A wise man is strong. And a man, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. A wise man is strong. And yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. The truth is what sets you free. Knowing the truth is what sets you free. It's the kind of thing that you receive that brings deliverance without struggle. Because God then comes behind it and does the work for you. And it's no longer of works, but of the grace of God. God working in your life and through you. So a wise man is strong. No matter what you are wising, and when you have knowledge, you increase strength. So knowledge is very important. In in Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, three, verse sixteen, it tells us there: all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. All Scripture is profitable. In other words, you'll profit from scriptures. If you stay with scriptures, you'll profit. How many scriptures? All scripture is given by God's inspiration. God gave us this. It's a gift to us. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness. I didn't realize this. You are already righteous. You're not going to be more righteous than you are right now if you have received Christ into your life. There is nothing more you can add to what Jesus has done for you. But you need instruction. Instruction in righteousness. Even though you're righteous, you need instruction in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. Even though you have righteousness already, if you don't receive instruction, correction, reproof from the word of God, you will not be complete. And you will not be thoroughly Equipped for the reason for your righteousness now, for good works. God called us for good works, good families. 
so that the people of the world can see and see what's happening in your family and say, I don't know what's going on in that family, but I want a family like that. They seem to have peace. Just like Kenneth Hagin said, some of them criticized him in the early days and said, he's nuts. And one of them said, well, I don't think so. None of his children are ever sick. Our children were constantly going to the hospital. If he's nuts, I want that kind of nuts. <laughs> because God's blessing. God's blessing. So we are created for good works. And your family life is part of the good works that God wants to show to the world. You remember what the scripture says? You talk to God in secret, and what does he do? He rewards you openly. For the world to see what he's doing. That's the important thing about this. But we need information from the word of God. Wherever I can get something that's good for me to make me a better man for my God. That's very important. I got nothing to prove. Amen. (laughs) I have nothing to prove but to live for God and be pleasing to him. That's very important. The other time I was talking about family life. In marriage, Christians, you know, I was reading a book about a a well-known minister. Well-known all over the world. Knew the scriptures so well, but his family was falling apart. His wife, they were fighting like crazy. And they were ready to pack it up. And they called pastor, their mentor, please come talk to us for the last time. And one thing that the man told him was so significant. He said, every one of you, what you're trying to do is thinking what you can get from this thing. You know? But that's not love. Love is not what you can get. It's what you can give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Fight, and so he encouraged them. I want two of you to start fighting who is going to outdo the other one in this matter of giving, this matter of love. Uh, find a way to outdo the other person. They tried it, it worked. <laughs> it worked. It's not about you, what you can get from a marriage, it's what you can bring to the marriage, what you can do to make the marriage work. And who gets the glory? God. He started it. The marriage life started with God. That was God's idea. It wasn't Adam's idea. It was God's idea. He wanted a man and a woman to be together. And to have children. After he created just Adam by himself, he blessed him. Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. That's what God wants. He wants to bless, but we need to know. But the problem is, when you come into a marriage situation, we're coming from different backgrounds. I know that. In my home, I say certain things, and my wife, both of us are in agreement, but my children were not born in my country. (laughs) They disagree with us. (laughs) That's not right. And we... We tell them, we are the parents, we know what's right. No, no, that's not the way it's done in America. I was an American first before you got here. 
<laughs> but for some reason, he seems like they can get this thing by osmosis, and Angela and I have to work at it. <laughs> I don't understand it. I've been working so hard to get rid of my accent, my child didn't have to work at it at all. That's painful. <laughs> and from Sunday to Sunday, she comes back home, Daddy, that word that you said. Oh, don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't need my child teaching me how to talk. I should be teaching them how to Man. Oh, Lord, help us. But Angela and I, we are the parents, so we maintain our rights as parents. We're right, and you guys are wrong. <laughs> Amen. But whenever you have a home of people from different backgrounds, you have conflict. Sometimes it's just the way people see things, your frame of reference. And so when two people come together, no matter how much they, they claim they love each other, you got to see the differences. And this is where conflicts come from. Now, there are several ways to deal with uh, this issue. People deal with conflicts. I mentioned that there are three ways that people deal with conflicts in their homes. And conflict is just a part of life. I've, come to, I've settled this in my heart. Everybody's not going to like me. <laughs> I've tried really hard. It didn't work. So I give up. Everybody's not going to like you. Everyone is not going to agree with you. So you have to accept that. So I don't have to strive to make everybody like me. That's why I use the word a lot. I have nothing to prove to anybody. So if you do something, it shouldn't, it shouldn't hurt me that much. I've, this is just life. Conflict is part of life. And we've got to deal with it. The thing is finding ways to deal with conflict. It happens so, like Jesus said, <laughs> the rain falls on the just and the unjust. <laughs> Can I say it? Conflict falls on the just and on the unjust. It doesn't matter. We have to deal with it. The thing is find the right way to deal with it so you can handle it and prosper even though you got conflict. And there are three ways that people deal with this. We have escape. The third one is the uh, attack response and then the peacemaker. And I said last week, the escape uh, is the one that... Uh, the people refer to as peace fakers. In other words, they don't want to confront the problem. They, they pretend as if it doesn't really exist. We, we, we are happy. Happy ignorance. Everything is going to be fine. The home is going down, but the eyes are still closed. They don't want to deal with the issue. They won't talk about it. And so there are three ways people who escape deal with the issues. The first is denial. This is, it's not there. What problem are you talking about? <laughs> it's not there. And then the second, when they, that doesn't work, they go into the flight mode. You know, well, it's not working. We can't get it together. Well, let's file for divorce. And this has to do with me. You know, you're escaping from it, protecting yourself, so to speak. And so the final stage is suicide. Just kill the thing. 
And then, that's where we ended last Sunday. The second aspect of it is the attack response. The attack response is favored by those who are more interested in winning the fight than preserving the relationship. They just don't care about what's going to happen to the relationship. They just want to win. I'm right, and you're wrong. Now, okay, you're right. So what did you get from it? You still got trouble. People who are like this, people who go with the attack response, the main thing, for some, they seize the opportunity that they have with the conflict to assert their rights in the home and to take control and get their way. So what they do is they use attack language, angry words. They use angry words. They come against the person. You're frustrated. So they say things that will really hurt the person. You're so and so. You're so. You, you do this all the time. You always do this. Why come you can't do that? How come everybody else is doing this and you can't do that? This other person. And, and then. What happens to the, the other partner? They push back. They defend themselves. They become defensive. And nothing is accomplished. These people are actually peace breakers. And everyone is involved with this. I mean, the insecure is involved with this. The secure people do it. The weak people do it. The strong, everyone is involved in this. You're trying to protect yourself. The thing is, about the other person, it's not about you. You're the one that's wrong. You can't even see that you're making mistakes. It's all about the other person. So you attack the person. You have all these things in your head about the other person. You haven't really looked at yourself. And all you want is to be right. You want to make proof to the world that he's wrong or she's wrong. And you're right. And so you keep attacking and using those words that are really hurtful and the person keeps pushing back, but they remain while the relationship is going down. Nothing is being resolved. So we have three ways again that this is done is the, the assault, where they use verbal attack, harsh, harsh criticism, just criticizing, cutting, cutting, cutting the person constantly. That's always very painful. If you're constantly being criticized for everything you, you, you smell, you're criticized. Whatever you do is criticized. You get really frustrated by it and angry. Nagging, slander, angry words, threats. These are some of the ways. And sometimes this can even expand to physical threats. And if this don't work, litigation. You're angry, so we're gonna, I'm going to attack you take the person to court, and then, then they are fighting about who gets what. A lot of Christians are doing this. They go to court. If you lived in the days of Paul, this was a no-no. You couldn't do this. I mean, Paul was yelling at the church in Corinth, you can't do this, he said. How can you take a brother... And sister, and you can't, don't you have people in church that can help you settle this? 
But you know what is happening today? Everybody wants to maintain their rights. Nobody's willing to give in anymore. No one will humble himself or herself. No one is able to say I'm wrong anymore. And that shouldn't be a right way to say it. There are people that are doing it. But we have to be aware of this. That we need to humble ourselves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Dare any of you, dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unrighteous. You see, God separate, Paul separates the people of the world and Christians. He says, I dare you to ever do that. But look at what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. It doesn't affect God. It affects us and our witness. And let me tell you what. The most powerful thing that you have against the enemy, two of them, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. When you destroy your testimony, you got no power. You can, cry, you can speak all you want, quote all the scriptures you want. It's not going to work. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of their testimony. This will destroy your testimony. The thing that we do trying to live for God is not trying to do something by the grace of God. Because I am aware of the testimony. Because once your testimony is gone, Satan's got you cornered. And he's going to destroy you. We need to protect our testimony. Paul says, don't do this. He says, do you, not, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, that's you and I will judge the world, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Deal with it yourself. Take care of it. Find somebody in the church that you can talk to to help you resolve the problems and be willing, you know, to, to go out and, and to resolve. It's not about you. In this case, is what you're doing when the attack mode and the attack response is all about you. You're just you. That's what is important to you. It's not about me, me meaning inward. You means the other person. And when it goes beyond this, it goes to murder. You attack and attack now. You, you kill. Now, Christians don't kill. Amen? Yeah. Uh, Christians don't kill at all. It's hard to find a Christian that kills. Uh, but they retain those bitterness, right? And the anger, right? It's in there. If God, if you just give me just a few minutes, if not because you said, I'll take him out. <laughs> but inside you're so angry. And Jesus says, if you're angry without a curse, you're a murderer, according to the New Testament. So in the, in the home, you got serial murderers. <laughs> and eventually they kill the marriage. The peacemaker is the one who is not concerned about me or you. It's about us. Let's sit down and discuss this matter and find a way out of it. 
Find a way out of it. You know why this is important? Let me tell you why the, when the, word, the Bible uses the word instruction in righteousness, because you already have the power if Christ is in you by the grace of God. You already have it. You don't have to pray for it. If you're not doing it, it's because you are unwilling. Amen. You have the power. God has not given us what? The spirit of fear, but what? Of power, love, dust your spirit. You can do it. If you're not doing it, it's either you are not aware of it or you are not willing. That's the case. You get all the grace available to you. The Bible tells us we have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Not going to, you have it. You need instruction. And you need to be willing to follow through. Let's not deceive ourselves. God told us through his word, you can walk these things out. Go to your brother. Get it resolved. Talk among it, you know, with your, with your mate. So be a peacemaker. Not a peace faker and not a peace breaker. A peacemaker. Resolve, I am going to be a peacemaker. You know what I do when things baffle me, when I'm concerned about something and I don't really understand, you know what I do? I go to the Lord and I say, now God, your word says, whatever I commit to you, you are able to keep until that day. Amen? And so I commit this thing in my life. God, I want you to take care of this. I'm putting it in your hand. And I, this is what I want. And guess what he does? He works for me. The first thing is I enter into his rest. Amen? And then he begins to walk with me step by step until I get where I should go. Different things on the way, but all of it instructions to help me get where I'm going. That's so important. But you have to first be in your mind. I am in my home. I am a peacemaker. Because the prince of peace lives in you. You can't have the prince of peace in your, in your heart and you, got, you have chaos in your home. That's the clear evidence that the prince of peace, if he's there, he's not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Because it lives in you. And you can do something about it. God, you know, when Jesus says to the woman, go and sin no more. Our thinking is, he's saying to her, I'm telling you, I'm giving you this law, don't do this. No, what he's actually doing to her is empowering her not to do it anymore. She received the word and received the power to be free. I don't think the woman went, oh, Jesus told me not to ever do this anymore. How am I going to do this? No. She had a lot of power and joy because Jesus gave it to her. That's the power of God in our lives. Amen? So the, you determine in your heart, God will protect your rights. Amen? If you want to go to hell, God will protect that right that you got. That's your choice. 
Amen? If you want to go to heaven, yeah, he'll protect that right. If you hand it over to him, he'll take it. And he'll keep it until that day. I know I'll go to heaven because I've already given me, committed my life to him. And he's going to keep it until that day. And he's going to help me walk the walk here. But you make up your mind, I'm going to be a peacemaker in my home. And God will deliver that to you. Because he has already delivered it to you. He will give it life as you decide that. Let's go a little further. Let's talk about the issue of submission. How many men love that? <laughs> I don't want your hands up. Your wife's sitting by you. Men love that word, submission. Pastor, she does not submit to my authority. Oh, say it even stronger. We know you got authority. <laughs> but the scripture gives us instruction. Amen? And helps us to understand how we are to walk in this area. The question of submission. What does this mean? What are we talking about here? Submission. Paul tells us. Submission is in a context. Okay? The submission of the woman, and I'm going to the woman now, okay? We live in the men. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. <laughs> okay? But I hope that you are getting truth. Truth is truth, regardless. It's like the book we're reading on healing. Some of us shared this last night. You know, somebody was foaming in the mouth, and the other person was, uh, it don't matter, he's already healed. And in, in the uh, person who is not a Christian, he's looking and says, he's foaming in the mouth, and you're saying he's healed? Are you nuts? <laughs> That's not healing. We've got to pray until we see the healing. That turns unbelievers away when you're seeing things that don't make sense to them. But Jesus is clear. By their fruit, you know them. That's how it is. Let's talk about submission here. Submission is in contest. If you read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, he says, Submitting to one another in what? In the fear of God. Is the man included in that or not? What about the wife? Are they not all part of this? Is it God, the woman that God's speaking to alone? No, both of them. Submitting just to the body of Christ. He wants us as Christians to submit to one another in the fear of God. That's the reverential fear of God, not dread of God, but the reverential fear of God. The reverence of God. And when we do that with one another, what we're actually doing is reverencing God. We're honoring Him when we submit to one another. And then right after that, it says, Wives, submit to your own husband. So now this submission is brought to another level of, in the home. But it's in that context. It doesn't exclude the man. Well, we are at home now. I don't have to submit to you. <laughs> but he says to submit to one another, right? But at home, 
when you're dealing with your husband, because of what God says, he is the head of the home, God saying, in this regard, I want the woman to submit to the man because he's the head. The man didn't choose that. God said that's what it is. And it is what it is. You can have your opinion. God's not going to change his mind. That's what he says. And the thing to do is to, because there is something to that, when you willing, willingly say to God, you said it and I'm going to be obedient. I even don't understand it. But God never says anything for his own benefit. That's what you need to understand. When God tells you to do something, it's really for your benefit. If you rebel against it because his ways are so different from our ways, his understanding from our understanding, I may not understand what he's doing, but if you follow through and follow through with his grace, believe me, your eyes will be opened and he'll bless you. Many, of all, if many times, some things I don't understand. But I just want to step out in faith. Because anything that is not of faith is sin. So you step out because God said it and you put your faith in it. I don't understand it fully, but I'm going to do it. And once you set your mind, the heavens open. And God begins to pour out his blessing upon us. So it's in that context. He says the husband is the head of the wife. So the husband has to then bring to the wife, just like Christ brings to the church, the love, the care, and the affection. Right? That's what Christ, because the husband is the head, and so the, the head brings the love of God. That's the love, the caring. God cares for us. Cast your cares upon him, right? Because he cares for you. The care and the affection has to come from the husband. And when the care, the love, and the affection are missing, there is nothing to submit to. Amen. I just preached myself happy. <laughs> because that's the truth. Husband must love, right? Care and show affection. And you have what it takes. And you can do it. I believe I can love my wife because God said I can. When God says, by the mercies of God, Romans chapter 12, submit yourself as a living sacrifice. Who is to submit? God? No, you do. Do you have the power to do it? Yes. He gave you the power to do it. And you can do it because you have his grace in your life. And he's given, delivered that to you. So you can submit, and you can actually love. They go together. They are not separated. The love, the care, and the submission, all there together. So you can love your wife and work with them. The husband is the head. There's a curious scripture I want to go into this morning. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, husband, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. Notice how Paul is telling you what to do. Why is he doing that? He knows you can. But you need instruction in righteousness. Amen? So that you can do what God has called you to do. And in this way, God can bless you. 
Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And I said, I have 10 things that uh, ladies have to watch for. <laughs> and just being a lady, you just need to watch. And God can give you grace when you have knowledge. And this is it. And then you can, because the truth, knowing the truth is what frees us. Amen. First thing is that will cause a man to be bitter and resentful of his wife is when the fighting is not fair. You don't fight fair. Happy couples do not necessarily fight less. They just fight better by expressing how they feel about a matter as opposed to calling the other person 40 in different words. They don't call names. They express how they feel. When you do this, I feel this way. And then you let the person know exactly what you want them to do that will make you happy. Men are different from women. We think differently. The men will not know this by osmosis. It's not a woman. You need to let him know. Amen. And so if you keep picking on him, you're not fighting fair as far as he's concerned. As he's concerned, as far as he's concerned. And what's going to happen, because he doesn't understand where you're coming from, he resents it. He becomes bitter because of what you're doing. You're asking something and he doesn't really know. He said, well, you should know. Well, he can't know. He's not you, okay? He said, well, if I tell you, then I will not be surprised. Well, he doesn't know what was going to surprise you. We just tell him. Oh, excuse me? How much utils would you get from surprise? If he's willing to do it, that's the thing, right? What's this big deal about surprise me? He doesn't know what you mean by surprise. And, and then he goes out to get what, you, what he thinks will surprise you. And when he shows it to you, he says, well, is that what you brought? He can never win, he thinks. How am I going to win in this fight? You're not fighting fair. Amen? <laughs> Secondly, treating him like a child. Uh-huh. How many men can agree to that? <laughs> I'm not your baby, okay? When you're constantly correcting the man for everything he tries to do in the home, guess what it says? I'm going to show you. I'm not doing them anymore. You, you can handle everything. He's not a child. Constant correction. You know, you don't do this. And he's, trying to, he's trying to help by you know, getting into the laundry room. He's never done that before. He is thinking he's going to fold the laundry and keep do it right, and my wife's going to be real pleased. And you come and say, man, that's not the way I do it. No, thank you. You're already criticizing him. He says, I'm never going to the laundry room anymore. You got that ministry now. It's your ministry. I'm never going there. Don't talk down at your husband. It becomes very resentful. 
these things are important. Third thing, involving other people in your marriage. Men do this too. T.D. Chicks called him baby, uh, mama's boy. <laughs> Always calling mama and complaining about his wife. Why don't you just move? I think a Creflo dollar. Why don't you go move and stay with your mom? A lady said, I told him, you're married to me. You're not married to your mama. <laughs> we got to do this. Mama's boy. Always calling. Then the scripture says you leave your father and your mother and you cleave to your wife. Well, how come you're going back? Always, Mama, my wife did this. Oh, be quiet. Resolve it with your, with your wife at home. A woman possibly can tolerate that, but let me tell you stuff about a man. When a man hears you complaining about him to your friend or your family, the couple's bubble for trust that you have is shattered. A man feels so hurt when you're saying things about him to your parents or to your friends. If you must say something, talk to your pastor, find a counselor, Somebody that will keep the matter in there. Men are very private people when it comes to things that involve their family life. They don't want it out there. And you may just think you're just saying things, but he hears it, and that's it. And he, the trust is gone. And then you, you're bringing something into your home that's going to destroy it. They don't want it out there. If he wants to do that, then let him take that initiative. But I think men get hurt more in, a, in this thing than possibly women uh, can be. The men, just, they feel so hurt by you saying something about them negative to maybe your friends. Now he thinks all of them think of me this way. And so you belittle him, and a man needs his respect. Amen? He can't get no respect from them anymore, and you're the curse. He doesn't like it. We have to watch for these things. Amen? We have to watch. Fourth, not showing appreciation for the things he does. Just like a woman wants to hear from my husband, I love you. I love you constantly. Because I said the other week, you say, I do. She says, do you? You have to keep. A man wants to be appreciated for the things that he's doing. A man craves respect more than love. A man would rather be respected than be loved. You know how that is? That's why a man will go out and buy a car that he can make payments on to show that he's hot and get some respect from everybody. Buy a house you know, that he cannot make payments on just to be up, to be respected. A man craves respect. And whatever you do to make him less in, in his mind than he thinks he is in your mind, that's going to result in a lot of resentment. And now only God can help us resolve that kind of situation 
when they feel totally disrespected. So you show some appreciation about the things, even the little things. They're like children. You praise him for doing this little stuff, he's going to do more, amen? <laughs> but you criticize him for it, he's not going to do it anymore. So you got to, you know, just like he's the head, you remember that? What are we supposed to do? This is kind of crude, but we praise the Lord for everything that he does, right? Whether we understand it or not, we praise him. And if we praise the Lord and we give him honor and praise for what he's doing, guess what he does for us? He does more. The man is like Christ in your life, amen? And give him some praise, amen? Give him some praise. And that will work like medicine for you in your relationship. Don't criticize, praise him. And if you have to criticize him, find a clever way to do it. <laughs> Where he agrees with you, amen? And you both are happy. The fifth one, and I'm going to close with this today. Withholding intimacy as punishment. What are you laughing, lady? <laughs> Withholding intimacy as punishment. Sometimes we don't want to talk about this in church, but it's killing a lot of homes, a lot of problems. It goes both ways. Goes both ways. Um, the way a man sees it is different from the way a woman sees it. A woman needs more affection, is more important than intimacy. Now, with a man, when that's not there, you may be thinking, well, I'm going to just make him suffer for this. <laughs> but what he's thinking, he takes it personal, a rejection of himself as a person. And he's trying to find out what's happened here. What have I done? You don't, you don't want me anymore? That's the thing. It's a rejection of his person. That's what it is. Not just what you think it is, and we'll probably go back to this. That's why Paul warned us, unless you are fasting, amen, and you have both agreed, don't ever go there. Because the result is never pleasant. You got to talk about it. Because for a man, it's, it's, it's deeper than what we know. And for a woman, on another level, is the affection. These two things are very, very important. What we're doing is giving information by the grace of God so we know how to use the gifts that God's given to us to make our home peaceful. Because when you have a peaceful home, the, where the Holy Spirit is living, guess what happens to the family? The family will prosper. And so the enemy knows that. So what his main thing is to cause trouble in the home so that there is constant conflict and where there is conflict God is not the author of confusion and so when that's happening in the home possibly God's there but very silent until the matter is resolved stand up with me this morning next week we'll be going into Raising children. Some of the things that I consider 
very important. Things that we have to do by faith. There are two things. There are things that you can do naturally and the things that you can do by faith. Let me tell you this. One thing I learned right after I went into ministry, walking with God is like a chess game. Put it this way. God pushes and he holds back. It's your turn to push. You can cry and beg him, please push. No, it's your turn to push. You push, and then he pushes back. That's the way it works. God just doesn't work without something. When he multiplied bread, he said, what do, you, what do you have? They gave him the bread. He took the bread, broke it, blessed it, gave it right back to them. That's the way he always works. You have to participate with him. If you need God to work with you in your life with a lot of grace. Let's talk to him this morning. Tell him today that you want to be a peacemaker in your home. We've had the move of God already in our, in our service. Declare yourself a peacemaker with your tongue. It's very important. I am a peacemaker in my home. I am a peacemaker. I'll be the best husband there is. I'll be the best wife there is. Best husband to my wife. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can make that decision. You make the choice. You use your tongue rightly and blessings will flow into your life. Speak the words this morning to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're here with your spouse, Angela, please come up here. Put your hand around your spouse this morning. See, because just like it was in the beginning, it was God's idea to raise godly children. And it's depending, godly fruit is depending on you. We got to make that choice today. Amen. Let's lift our hands up again to the Lord. Angel, I feel like you should pray. Thank you. Dear Lord, we stand before you, husbands and wives. Father, we thank you for the marriages you've given us. We thank you for our wives and our husbands. Father, we ask that everything we're learning, that it will not just be head knowledge, but that we'll go home and practice them and put them to use. Father, help us. Help us, God, by your grace. We know we can do all these things, Father, so that our homes can be examples to others of what it is to be a godly couple, raising godly children. Father, for those who are not yet married, who are waiting and believing you, Father, may this time just be a time of learning and putting those things and storing them in their hearts as they wait for their partner to come. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in the families of the Ark Fellowship. We will be known as a church that have good marriages. We declare that today 
We decree that today in Jesus' name. Amen. All heads bowed. I've got to do this. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's possibly the reason why you're here this morning. God wants you to come home. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for everyone. We, even those who are saved today, were all born in sin. But Jesus came to die for us and to take away the power of sin and to clothe us with his grace and prepare us for heaven. Believe me, there, heaven exists. Jesus is right there in heaven today and he's waiting for us to come back home. He's waiting for that last person to come back home. Your place at the Lord's table, your seat at the Lord's table is empty. God's calling you to come and occupy your seat. He prepared the table before you. And he's call, coming, calling you to come back home. If you're here today and you have not made that decision to come to Christ, I encourage you to come to him. I did this years ago. And God has kept me till this very day. I didn't even know if I would last as a Christian in those days because of the way where I came from. But the grace of God was upon my life and he's kept me up till this very day. Giving me a good family, a good wife, good children. God will do the same for you. If you have not made up your mind, it's not just for heaven. It's for life here on earth as well. Your life here will be beautiful and you'll have confidence in life. If you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this morning you can. All you have to do is lift up your hand at the count of three. Lift up your hand and say, I want that Jesus in my life, the Son of God. I want him in my heart. One, two, three. Lift your hand up right now. Lift up your hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That says everyone here knows the Lord. And please be sure that you know God. And if you know him, Isaiah 54 says God will never be angry at you. Never. There's nothing that you can do that can make God to be angry at you. He will always love you. He'll take care of you. He'll pull you in. And if you're willing, then he takes you to the heights. Amen? But you have to be willing. Let's put our hands to, together this morning and clap to the Lord, giving him praise. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I bless your people in your name, in Jesus' name. I bless your people according to your word. May you order their steps in the name of Jesus. May your face shine upon them in Jesus' name. May goodness and mercy continue to follow them all the days of their life. May no evil come near their dwelling in Jesus' name. I bless their finances in the name of Jesus. I bless their families with peace in the name of Jesus. And Father, I lift up your name in the congregation of the people of God this morning in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're dismissed. God bless you.